Today we continue the series, Finding Yourself in God's Story. And we have a wonderful story to be examining today in the parable of the prodigal son. It is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all. And, and I would imagine that perhaps more than any other passage in all of the Bible for Father's Day, this passage has been read time and time again, perhaps more than any other. Remember that this is a crowning parable in a trilogy of parables. In fact, this sermon series started with us looking at uh, the lost um, sheep, right? The 99 safe in the fold and the one that was lost. And the, then we know the next parable that follows in Luke, the 15th chapter, is the one of the woman who sweeps the house to find that one lost coin. She had 10 and she lost one and she sweeps the house until she finds it. And then it's followed directly by this very familiar, in fact, um, even the secular world knows the word prodigal. It means lost. They may not know where it comes from, but we know where it comes from. It's the parable of Jesus that teaches us um, particularly about the nature of God, the forgiving, loving, accepting, reconciling nature of God. Now, I want us to think this morning about these parables, and before we receive them as parables to you and to me, we have to put it in the context and, and be reminded that Jesus was speaking and, and really wanting the Pharisees to hear the word that he had to say. If I were entitling this message today, I've been juxtaposing two positions, and today it would be duty and faithfulness. It seems that Jesus may have purposely been testing the boiling point of the Pharisees in teaching these three parables. They were hearing his teaching, they were hearing his preaching, and they were noticing the crowds who were coming to him. Perhaps they were somewhat envious of that. And they were keeping a close eye on Jesus, and their ears peeled to what he was saying. Now, I want to remind us that the Pharisees possessed uh, fundamentalist attitudes related to uh, the Scripture, the Holy Scripture. They, they wanted to keep every law that was in the Bible, ne nearly 700 of them, and they wanted to keep every part of that law. And they expected everyone to at least try to follow suit, but really didn't expect anyone to do as well as they could do. And so this particular verse out of the 15th chapter says this, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. That was their criticism in a word. This fellow Jesus welcomes sinners and eats with them. How awful is that? So, so Jesus tells this parable to say, God welcomes sinners. God seeks out the lost. God will not be satisfied at home until the children return. 
You know, we need to know that the younger brother asked for what was coming to him. By the, Deuter- the law of, in Deuteronomy, the youngest son would get a third of the father's estate. Uh, the oldest son would get two-thirds. And so the younger brother did not ask for what was not his. He simply asked for what was his, or at least what was coming to him. But we need to say that for him to ask for even his third of the estate was in essence saying, I want to be cut off from this family. I I, I don't need you anymore. You give me what's coming to me. I'll leave you alone. I'll go and, and you'll never hear from me again. I will be as if I'm dead to you. And then the scripture says, as this prodigal son has squandered all of his money and finds himself feeding with the pigs, he came to himself. He came to himself. And Jesus must have believed in telling the story in this way that no one truly is their God-intended self until they are home with the Father. And that all of us, brothers and sisters, should should be praying for all of our siblings to return to God. Now think about that. Think about our position, not only as one called to return to God, but one who would be praying that all of our siblings, all of our siblings would return to God and experience their God-intended self. This younger son believed that he had no other choice but to humble himself, to return home, to be proven wrong, to be humiliated, to acknowledge he was defeated, and to work as one of the slaves for his father, but not to be a son. And talk about a happy Father's Day. This father who sees his son coming, uh, he runs out to greet him. His father will not have anything of this son requesting to just be a slave. You're my son. And ever since he had given his inheritance, he had feared the worst, that he might never see his son again. And when he saw him coming down the road and he ran out to greet him, he, he also um, just ignored the fact that he smelled like pig. In fact, he was so ready to give him more than he would have ever expected. He gave him a robe, which was a robe of honor. He gave him a ring, which was a ring of authority part of the family and he gave him shoes as a sign that he was in the family do you remember that old spiritual um, where the 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 line is dreaming of a king kingdom that all of God's children have shoes you remember that the shoes that were placed on this son's feet said you are home your family and all of God's children have shoes. You know, I like the image, the scene of the party where there's the fatted calf barbecue going on. There's perhaps a big banner that says, welcome home. And yet in the midst of the party, the elder son returns from the fields. And as he hears the 
the, the noise that's coming from the house, the elder son finds out from a slave that a party is going on for his newly returned younger sibling, his brother, and he becomes angry. And that might be a great understatement. He becomes furious. And he doesn't even want to step into the house. And, and just as the father's love had driven him um, out of the house and down the road to welcome his younger son, so the love of the father feels for the older brother and goes out to meet the older brother. That's the way this story ends. It's not simply a story about the prodigal son. It's a story about the prodigal older brother who never left the house, and yet he was lost. He was lost and needed to return to the father. Now this morning, I want us to focus on the elder brother, the older son in the story, and, and see what we might learn from what Jesus was talking about when he juxtaposes the response of these two brothers. First, the elder son reminds his father of how deserving he is, how deserving the elder son is. He talks about all that he has done for the father, and, and yet he hasn't received anything. He says, you've never thrown a barbecue for me. You haven't even roasted a goat. And this is especially true regarding our relationship sometimes to God. Sometimes we seem to relate to God as if we deserve or as if we can earn what God has to offer us. And perhaps we even sometimes slip into that attitude of the elder brother when we look at other people who, who obviously are, are, are acting um, in a matter that's wrong, in a matter that's not faithful, in a matter that doesn't understand the importance of duty to God. And friends, when our faith becomes more about duty, more about keeping the law, or getting what we think is rightfully ours, or, or what we might deserve, then we're really driven by this sense of duty, not a sense of faithfulness. Now, now don't get me wrong, keeping the law is a good thing. But when our faith is about receiving God's grace and, and forgiveness, we really get it, right? When, when our religious practices and our daily prayers are acts of thanksgiving for undeserved, unmerited grace that God gives to us, can you imagine that? We really get it. And when God's first love of you is the best news ever, and you gladly respond with your faithfulness to God, faithfulness will become a source of joy, and you get it. Anything less than thanksgiving and faithfulness and joy is far away from the heart of God, the Father. 
And God would beckon us, would plead with us to return to that home base, to be thankful, faithful, joyful people. Now, secondly, the elder had a lack of compassion, right? Now, we don't know the dynamics, what might have been going on between these two siblings, maybe even for years. Maybe the younger son had just kind of had it. We, we really don't know. But what we do know is the reaction of the elder brother to his brother, his younger brother's return was a lack of compassion. Did you get it? He refers to his brother, not as my brother, but he says to the father, your son, your son. And his self-righteousness comes out as thinking of himself as being more deserving, better than, and caring not that his brother was safe at home. He could care less. And not even caring to truly know where his brother had been and, and what the condition of his brother was. He just didn't care anymore. There was a total lack of compassion. You know, it's been my experience that judgmentalism abounds among theological conservatives and theological liberals and sometimes I'd say even theological centrists who don't really have positions on the extremes. Judgmentalism is a danger. It's a temptation, if you will, that we can all succumb to. There is nothing worse than someone judging your heart and thinking they know where you're coming from. That there's really nothing worse than someone not possessing that compassion enough to know, and most importantly, to care. When attitudes about differences and disagreements become dismissive of another, there is a loss of compassion that is far away from the heart of God the Father. And finally this morning, the elder divulges information that was really unknown to him and could be nothing but the stuff that makes for gossip. I mean, this was not a day of Facebook where he saw his brother, um, you know, posting on social media all the fun things he was doing. He, he, he didn't know what his younger brother was up to. He didn't know one thing. But upon hearing that he has returned and the father has thrown a big party for him, then he begins to, in essence, gossip. This younger son squandered your inheritance in reckless living. And the elder, he possesses this sordid, seedy, uh, detail-hungry um, attitude that is driven by hate. He reveals that the father's money was spent on prostitutes. How does he know? How does he know? He had to do more regard for the, the truth. He had no more regard for the truth than perhaps 
in this modern day, some of our, um, like the National Enquirer or the Globe or some of the, the other tabloids, you know, the ones that might post a story that says Adam and Eve skeletons were found in Colorado or proclaiming a baby born with angel wings. He didn't have any more respect for what was really the truth about his brother and really was just succumbing to gossip and, and, and whatever he imagined in his mind might have been going on and it had become truth for him. The elder delights in exposing the worst assumptions about his brother without any concern for the truth. How can you give a party for him, he said. You know, of course, that he spent your money, that you worked so hard for, and he spent it on nothing more than prostitutes. How does he know? You know, truth has always been under assault. Truth is always under assault. And more so today than perhaps ever. Disregard for the truth and creating and and catering to falsehood and gossip is far away from the heart of God. You know, every community has its informational specialists, its news carriers, those who keep the communication flowing and fluid. You know, there was a study done some years ago by one who is a bishop. Her name is Bishop Sally Dick, and she studied the pastors in the Ohio Conference, and she found some, um, some very disturbing news. They, they had really ceased to, to trust because uh, among this tight-knit group of colleagues of United Methodist pastors, there, there was a, a plague of gossip. To, to the point that, that pastors really had a hard time confiding in their colleagues or in their superiors for what it might mean to them professionally. And the study supported that even in the church, we have self-proclaimed informational specialists who major in rumor and half-truth that is far away from the heart of God. Sometimes the only thing more developed than a sense of humor is a sense of rumor. I see a lot of heads shaking. Do we have an amen online? I want to end this message today with something that, um, that I think is helpful. It's an old Arab proverb that suggests that words of the tongue should pass through three gateways. Three gateways. Is it true? Is it kind? And is it necessary? Would that the elder son's gossipy words about his brother's uh, decadent lifestyle pass through these three gateways. How would your words and actions do 
if they were passed through these three gateways. Is what I say true? Were the words true? Perhaps, but we are given no clue as to why the elder who obediently stayed at home and worked the land should know all of this about his brother's lifestyle apart from the home. Is it true? Is what I say kind? Were the words kind? The words the elder brother had of the younger brother? Obviously not. The speculation about how his brother had squandered the inheritance was, was trotted out to hurt both the younger brother and also hurt the father. He wanted to punish both of them. He wanted the father to feel guilt and shame. Is what I say kind? And is what I say necessary? Does it add to truth and kindness what I say? Were the words necessary that the elder son had for the younger son? Really, not at all. The younger son had returned, but he would never again retain his inheritance. It was gone. It was lost, never to be returned. The elder son's position was firmly established, and his brother brother's return posed no threat to him or his position. So what he said was not even necessary to protect his position. You know, the next time that you or I are tempted to add a sizzling piece of juicy gossip to the fire, try subjecting your motives to these three gateways. Is what I say true? Is what I say kind? Is what I say necessary? Let us be people of faith, not duty. Let us not speak ill of a sister or a brother whether they're living or dead. Let us not squander our time or mind running down people who we don't like or who rub us the wrong way. Let us take a stand that our church or our workplace or our home will not be a, bleeding, a breeding ground for tabloid testaments. Make your words be true. Make your words be kind. Make your words be necessary. And do so realizing that we have a Father God 
who wants to throw a party for us to let us know no matter what we are forgiven, no matter what we are accepted, no, no matter what we are loved beyond our imagining, no matter what God wants us to experience joy, no matter what God has grace abundant to supply our needs, no matter what our Father wants us to know, that the love that he shows for us is the love that he hopes we will show for our elder sisters and brothers and our younger sisters and brothers and for all, for all, for all. Amen.